Hey everyone, it's the CHGO Fire Podcast presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. I am Pat McCraney, he's Alex Campbell, but we are not in studio today. We are not. We are recording from our homes on Tuesday evening, which is important to say in case any news breaks or any noteworthy things happen in the Chicago Fire universe between now and when you're hearing this, which hopefully will be as early as sometime Wednesday afternoon. Tomorrow, we've got the CHGO White Sox tailgate. as The Sox take on the Toronto Blue Jays at 1 p.m. at Guaranteed Rate Field. Uh, Hopefully, you came out and joined us for that because... uh, if you're hearing this now, I can't tell you to do that because it's probably already happened. So hopefully we got a White Sox winner out there. Uh, we might have some more tailgate news in the future for some teams more relevant to this podcast. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. But yes, you don't get to see our I think we can give away that we're we're looking at doing something on the 30th of July for the Fire Red Stars doubleheader. Yes. We um, don't have it planned yet, but we're looking to do something there. So. Yeah. CHGO Fire, CHGO Red Stars, maybe look out for some other CHGO branded soccer content leading up to that game. We will keep you posted as we can. But hey, Pat, the Fire not only actually played a soccer game, they won a soccer game. It was amazing. It's it's so much uh, better going to the post-game news conferences and and now they have locker room access it was my first time covering the fire because i started in 2020 and then COVID happened this was the first time i'd ever done the locker room thing for the fire i'd done it for other sports but never the fire so um it, it was a better vibe i'll tell you for sure being in there after after a win than than after a loss and it, it was not a um you know from a defensive standpoint it was unbelievable you know, Gaga didn't have to make a single save to get a shutout. Um, they, they were, I thought Wyatt Amsberg and Rafa Shihis and, and Boki and Bornstein were all absolutely phenomenal. I thought uh, Fede was good. I thought Gaston had one of his best games of the season. Um, it was a very, very motivated switched on Gaston. Um, and, and defensively, things were, were incredible. Um, going forward, they did eventually score, but at halftime, it was, I think, Brian Sandalo, uh, our friend from the Sun-Times, called them constipated uh, because it just Where Where is like... that on the scale? Where is constipated on the Brian Sandalo scale of zero to whatevering? It's somewhere in there. Uh, it's, 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 you know, it, I can't tell you all of the things that Brian says um, because they're not suitable for a podcast even even a podcast is with as low bar as this one alex but uh but yeah i, I think it's somewhere between zero and whatevering for sure um but the, it, he he was right like i think they had at halftime they had nine shots on goal five shots on target i don't think dc had anything or maybe they had five shots uh five shots total and then um maybe one was on target at that point or zero i think because yeah zero for the save, game but yeah zero for the game. But um, so it was, it was in the fire had, you know, they led the passing stats. They were dominating possession. Um, they had the ball in, in DC's final third quite a bit and just nothing was coming of it. I thought, you know, a few of the players individually were very good. I thought Guti filling in for um, Jared and Shakiri was, was outstanding. Um, you know, they didn't score the goal when he was still out there. He was subbed off by the time they did, but I thought he was very, very good. 
Um, and, and he was connecting with Casper Shavilko a little bit better than, than Shaq does um, for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, you had um, on the left, Chris Mueller, who was, again, proved that he was, you know, an excellent signing. He's, he's, uh, we're going to talk about him later on when it gets to the points bet pick of the week. But um, I thought Chris Mueller had a, another very good game. And when, when, um, and then on the right was, was Stanislav Ivanov, who was okay. I wouldn't say bad. Uh, Fatmob had him as the worst player on the field for the fire, but it was only like a 5.8 that they gave him. So it wasn't like he was terrible. I think that was pretty accurate. Um, so Ezra makes, after the first half of no goals, Ezra makes his usual 60th to 63rd minute substitutions. Um, first, Bobby and Herbers comes on for, um, for Ivanov. And then Bobby flips over to the left. Um, and uh, Chris Mueller goes central when John Espinoza comes on for um, Guti just a little bit later. Um, and it wasn't too long after that. I think it was maybe 77th, 78th minute when Casper um, Shabilko plays a ball back. I don't think he was intending to put it on Fabian Herbers' head, but Bobby got ahead on it. Uh, DC's goalkeeper was well out of position. Bobby took advantage. and. Um, and then John Espinoza came running in and, and get a, got a second touch on it, went over to celebrate, but it was pretty clear on the replay and they reversed it really quickly and, and gave the, the goal to, to Bobby, which was cool. And I, I am not saying that it was because I wrote an article about him on CHGO that he scored, but I am also not, not saying that Alex. All right. So yeah, Fabian Herbers gets the lone goal of the game. Let's, let's uh, take a step back there and kind of look over some of what we saw in this one, yeah, DC United, not good. Uh, as we mentioned, did not register a single shot on goal. This, in a lot of ways, felt like the fire earlier in the season. This was a lineup definitely set up to defend first. Jonathan Bornstein gets the start at left back. You've got the usual pivot of Jimenez and Navarro in front of the back four. Mm-hmm. So this is a fire team that was set up that they weren't going to concede in this game, and they didn't. Um, I agree that Brian Gutierrez, great bright spot in this game. Definitely starting to look more comfortable in the Shakiri role. We'll talk about Shakiri yeah. in a minute. I, I agree. Even off, again, the bar is kind of low with him with that stretch he had earlier in the year. But his last exactly. couple performances do look at least a little bit more confident. Um, but the Fire's two best chances chances of this game, I think we got to talk about, Pat, if the Fire meant either of them. Because the first one is the Herbers goal which I almost just feels like Casper Shabilko launched the ball off of his head and that there was really no intent from anyone involved for that to be a shot. But to your point, it goes in. And then Chris Mueller with the cross slash shot that goes off the corner of the woodwork and was almost a phenomenal goal. And, you know, I think it's, it relates well to your, your uh, remark about the fire being a little constipated in the first half, first half, the fire, do all the right things, get into good scoring positions, put all their shots on target and get nothing. And in the second half, their best two chances come from what might not have been shots at all, that one of them happens to go in, the other almost does. And when you're in the basement of the league, those are the kind of bounces, literally and figuratively, you just need to go your way. Yeah, on the Mueller uh, shot, I thought it was a cross from the press box, but the press box, as you know, is a long way up there at Soldier Field. And 
Um, somebody tweeted me because I was tweeting from the CHGO Fire account, which you should follow. Um, somebody tweeted me, no, he he looked it up and down, and it, it on the on TV it looked uh, to whoever it was that that messaged me more like a shot than I thought. On the on the Fabi goal, um, he talked about this on on the soccer pod. He didn't think, and, and I think even Casper told him, Casper was just kind of flinging the ball to keep it up. Um, it happened to drop, and and Fabi noticed that the goalkeeper was well out of position, and he he just headed it toward goal and and hoped for the best. Um, and it it worked. So um, it was it's the type of. I feel like we've we've been down this road so many times before. Like the thing that I was about to say is it's the type of goal that, you know, you need an ugly one to get things rolling. But how many times, you know, this is my third season covering the team. And and, and how many times have I said that before? And then the team goes out and is terrible in the next, in the next game. And I asked Jonathan Bornstein after the game, I'm like, is, is momentum a real thing? Or is that just something that media types talk about? Can you actually build on this one win and, you know, you know, can you, maybe it's your confidence. Maybe it's, it's something you learned tactically. Can you actually build on it and, and go win a second game in Houston? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's a real thing. It's not something we really see from the fire all that often, but it is a, he didn't say that part. That was my aside, but it is, he's like, no, it's a real thing. So, you know, for the, I wrote this this week at, on the, on the website for the next five opponents are pretty bad with the exception of Philadelphia union who are good. That's a midweek game at Soldier Field coming up. It, there's there's um, Houston. There's Francisco Calvo's 14th place San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, and there's Toronto FC. It's, these games are all, like D.C., winnable if the Fire can put together a nice performance. So um, we'll see if they can. Uh, the, the thing that, you know, it, you wonder about is, are we going to see another game where, hey, the attack is clicking and they score three goals, but they give up three or four, which which seems to be the MO of the team this year. So um, I, I'm not – they're still a very, very long way off from even being considered to be a playoff contender at this point, But um, and I'm not getting my hopes up, but it's just nice to win one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Nice some Some bit of joy to talk about. Yeah, that San Jose game feels like a strong candidate for like six goal three three thriller because San Jose doesn't believe in defense, <laughs> even after Matias Almeida has departed. Yeah, the Flyers still can't create anything from open play. That still remains a problem. We to this point still really haven't seen the preferred first eleven on the field this year, and it is starting to feel like we're never going to see that first eleven on the field together. And that is in part the because... high road thing is concerning. Yeah, Jairo Torres has had this nagging hip issue ever since he showed up. It's never really gotten better. He wasn't even in the squad for this one. And, and I know it's early. Yeah, and Jairo Torres is hurtling toward bust in this opening season at a pace that I didn't think was possible only a couple of weeks ago when I thought that, you know, that the, 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 that the floor was pretty high here, that, like, you know, at worst he would be an Ivanov-type signing. But at least Ivanov gets on the field. And when you add the fact that Jordan Shakiri's career-long injury tendency is rearing its ugly head once again, that's a lot of, you know, when the fire would think about where offense is going to come from, where creativity is going to come from, that's a lot of it right there that just can't get off the medical table. 
Yeah, it's it's the the Shaq thing is frustrating. Yet another international break where he gets hurt. Uh, Ezra saying the same things he did last time. It's he's day to day. We're going to be very very careful with him. You know, we don't want to make it worse. Um, Ezra did say in the post game press conference on Saturday night that he uh, is is they're targeting Houston. They they think Shaq could be ready to go for the Houston game. Um, so maybe it's only one game he misses there. They they're calling the injury minor. Um, but you know, he shows up every day and they, I, they're, they're seeing if he can sprint, if he can go. So, um, uh, I'm not hopeful he'll play based on history. Um, uh, but maybe he will, uh, but the Hiro thing is very, very weird because as you'll recall, he played the last game for Atlas on April. And scored in that game. So. He scored in the game. He shows up, they do the Tuesday news conference. Um, downtown and Ezra says there oh no he's gonna play he's gonna you know he we're we're intending him to play I think it was Atlanta United that weekend um and then Wednesday I'm at training and Hyro's not out there and I'm like uh what what's this what's going on and then it was it was they said no he's got this this lingering uh hip issue which he apparently still has a month and a half later after three weeks off. And I, I don't know how much he was able to take part um, in, in training uh, during the three weeks off, but um, it's really, really frustrating to have not seen him fully, completely ready to go in all this time. Considering yeah. from what Atlas fans tell me, the guy barely missed a game for them ever. Really durable. So it, it's frustrating. Yeah, because we've got two very different situations here. On the one hand, you have a young player who has a persistent injury that just won't seem to go away and who is expected to play a lot right away. And then you have Jordan Shakiri, who is, an, as I mentioned, an injury-prone player. I mean, again, some people would argue that being injury-prone isn't a real thing, but he does get a lot of muscle injuries. And he plays for a national team where even at his age, he is still expected to play full 90s more often yep. than not and to be a key player for them, and they're in a World Cup year, so they want all their top players on the field as much as possible. And now, if if you know if he starts picking up repeated muscle injuries, that's bad for everybody. It's bad for the fire. It's really bad for Switzerland, who don't really have a like-for-like -like replacement for him within their squad. They kind of have to change the way they line up if he's not out there. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's – it, I don't know if it's a situation where everybody just needs to let him rest, Thankfully, there's no more international soccer until September. So that at least should be good for Shakiri getting a summer off from international play from this point forward. As you mentioned, Fire are in Houston this weekend. They are still tied for last place in the East against, excuse me, tied with DC United. Uh, Houston still awaiting the arrival of Hector Herrera. Um, this is going to be the first matchup of these teams, Pat, since 2020 because of the peculiarities of yep. MLS scheduling and the pandemic and all of that. A 4-0 win for the Fire, but this is a Houston team whose fortunes, a bit like the Fires, have, have, have changed a bit in terms of management over the last couple of years and seems to be heading in the right direction down in Houston. Not going to be threatening MLS Cup anytime soon, but certainly the basic competency there seems to have taken a step in the right direction. 
All right. I, I, you have it in front of you, Alex, so I'd be cheating to ask you, but I, I, I do wonder, uh, if you're listening to this, who scored the four goals on that game on September 23rd, 2020, that the Fire won 4-0 against Houston? I'll give you a second. Okay. I think that's enough time. Barich, Herbers, Madron, and Sapong. See, shout out CJ Sapong, who with every passing day, the fire letting him walk looks oh, more and more God. puzzling. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, that was in the midst of his daughter being born premature. I think that was the point where he had come back to the team and then had to leave again. Um, I thought Rafa Wiki handled that very good that season and giving him the time off. But I feel like maybe he didn't get the benefit of the doubt then on a, how good of an MLS player he is by, by fire brass because um, they let him walk. I don't think the fire actually offered CJ. I could be wrong on that, but I don't think the fire actually offered CJ a contract after that year. CJ found a new home in, in Nashville and has been really, really good for them. Because... Well, the other thing about his situation in Nashville that no one planned for is um, Ake Loba, the designated player striker who he's supposed to be backing up has been uh, disappointing would be an understatement. Yeah, Nashville, exactly. Nashville, and their roster build have generally been pretty five star, in my opinion. The one thing they can't seem to do is uh, purchase center forwards. They've blown a lot of money in their short history. Uh, before Ake Loba, you might remember they brought in Yonder Cadiz from Benfica, oh, yeah. who also did a whole lot of nothing. Um, so, so CJ Sapong has just found himself right place, right time as a reliable MLS goal scorer to, you know, help up finish off chances created by perpetual MVP candidate, Hani Mukhtar. So yeah, it's, it, CJ's found a good situation down there in Nashville. His family seems good, at least from what he shows us on social media. So it worked out well for CJ. It has not worked out as well. For the fire, I mean, you mentioned of those four players, three of them no longer with the team, and you know, two of them, Barrett and Madron, after significant investment, no longer with the team. But yeah. Bobby and Herbers persists. He's a good team guy. He's a guy you want to keep around. Um, so let, it's the first time uh, the fire traveled to Houston since 2019. The fire won that one, one nothing. Nico scored in the dying minutes of first half stoppage time. Would have been would probably be one of the final goals of Nemanja Nikolic's fire tenure, given yeah. the way that 2019 yeah. uh, went. And the less said about that, the better. However, Pat, we do have a lot to say about some of the people who make this podcast possible. Yes, the best way to support CHGO is to download the PointsBet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. If you do that right now, Alex, you'll get two risk-free bets up to $2,000, but that's not it. If you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content. And you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. There's some cool new ones that just dropped this week. Go check those out. There's like a CHGO one with the skyline. It's got like the buildings and the bean. It's top-notch. Uh, that's $2,000 in free bets, a free CHGO membership and a free t-shirt from the CHGO Locker, all for making more than a $50 first-time deposit at PointsBet. If you have any questions, you can email pointsbet at allchgo.com, and we'll help you out. Your home for live in-play betting just got even better. See an edge in a game you're watching? Is your favorite team prime for a comeback? 
Don't just watch the game. Bet along with it live. More live betting, more live markets, and faster live cash outs. Follow along with your bets the moment they hit and stay in the live action all game long. Download the PointsBet app now and use promo code CHGO. What are you waiting for? It's time to elevate your live betting game. Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. And now I have to tell you about Owen. That is O-W-Y-N, which stands for Only What You Need. Owen is a 100% plant-based protein shake that gives you nutrition that works as hard as you do. And all of their products at Owen are free of all artificial ingredients and they're allergy-friendly, including being both dairy and gluten-free, making them easily digestible. Huge plus for someone like me who has a lot of food allergies, has some digestive issues, love products like this that make it easier for me to get the nutrition I am looking for. I first heard about Owen from Chicago Bears quarterback Justin Fields, who himself follows a plant-based diet. Owen and CHGO have partnered up to give you, our listeners, an awesome offer. You can get 20% off your first purchase at liveowen.com. That's L-I-V-E-O-W-Y-N.com with the code CHGO20. That's code CHGO20. Join me and Justin Fields and try Owen only what you need. So, Pat, of course, the most interesting thing for the fire right now, you'd have to say, is the fact that they won a game this week. The second most interesting thing, though, I feel like has to be, can we call the Gaga Slamina situation a saga yet? Or is the it's fact that it saga. seems to only be one team on the end of this, does is it not a saga if it's only one team? No, I, th- I think it's a Gaga saga, if for the only reason that it sounds good. Nice little, you know, rhyme there. Um, but yeah, it's it seems like, by all accounts, Real Madrid is long gone. It's just Chelsea. Um, there was a thought that it would have happened by now. I, I think there was there was some reporting out there that um, it looked like maybe it would be a medical on Sunday and then maybe a, a signing after that. And and we don't know that that has happened or not happened. But um, right now, Chelsea is actually a little bit in turmoil as far as who's running things. And so, Alex, you can speak more to this as a Chelsea supporter. But uh, it, it's not surprising that things have slowed down a little bit right now. No, it's not. Uh, No update on any reported terms. Uh, Fabrizio Romano's tweet from last week that says it's likely to be around $10 million plus future add-ons. That still stands. But yeah, Chelsea have been a bit busy. Um, Marina Grenevskaya, who's been running their day-to-day operations and the transfer business over at Chelsea for the last like decade as kind of the right-hand woman to Roman Abramovich, uh, she is leaving the club. She's on her way out with Todd Bowley's group taking over as the new owners of Chelsea. And it sounds like Todd Bowley's actually going to be pretty hands-on. Like he wants to be involved in the transfer business the club is doing and take a pretty hands-on approach. We'll have to wait and see if that's for better or worse. So yeah, Chelsea are getting their ducks in a row in terms of who's in charge of this. But uh, Fabrizio Romano tweeted today that he does not expect that change in structure to affect the Gaga deal. Still thinks it's going to happen. Chelsea also have a few other things on their plate. Romelu Lukaku moved back to Inter Milan on loan today. And so they've been working out the details of that. There's also reporting in the English press that Chelsea are attempting to sign Raheem Sterling from Manchester City. 
which would obviously be a big deal. And also, side note, bad news for Christian Pulisic, most likely. So yeah, Gaga still probably going to Chelsea. It's just a question of when that's going to happen. And given that, you know, the transfer window only opened recently and it's going to be open for a while and Gaga is going to get loaned back anyway, this is not a deal that needs to be rushed in any way. Unless, of course, some other team came out of nowhere with an offer That's better than what Chelsea's yeah. going to give. Like, there's no issue for the fire here. Like, it's if you're Chelsea, you just need to be mindful of anyone else swooping in and hijacking this transfer. It doesn't sound like the fire have gotten a whole lot of play on their eight-figure valuation of Gaga over the last couple of months. So again, unless unless someone comes out of nowhere with an offer that's unprecedented based on recent traffic, um, I don't think this is going anywhere. Because we also have to remember the other bids we heard rumors of was Real Madrid, we heard was insultingly low. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers floated something around the idea of $3 million, which would have gotten the same Real Madrid treatment if it yeah, was Yeah, I don't think they actually official. made an official bid. But, so again, yeah. we, we didn't hear yeah. anybody else getting to this eight-figure number that Chelsea is reportedly going to pay. So again, I, mean, I, think, I think this yeah. is a matter of time. There are a limited amount of clubs that can and will pay an eight-figure transfer fee for an 18-year-old goalkeeper who's going to be nowhere near the first team for quite some time. Like it, it's, it, There's only a few clubs on, on earth that are going to even be interested in doing something like that. And... Um, Chelsea is, is, is one of them that can pull that off. And, and um, you know, as we've talked about, Chelsea seems like for Gaga's development, a good place to go. Yeah, it seems fine. I hate saying um, nice things about Chelsea, but. The, the, the club I wanted him, the, 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 my favorite rumor for Gaga was Southampton. Uh, Southampton right. have this week uh, solved their looking for a new young goalkeeper problem by solving, signing, I believe his name is, Bazunu, he's a young Irish goalkeeper from Manchester City, who was like, you know, like fourth place on their depth chart there because yeah. Man City have way too many people. Um, so Southampton have gone inside a young goalkeeper, not named Gaga. So their uh, their interest in signing such a player and Gaga fitting the description, that now in hindsight lines up. But yeah, it's again, there's there's so few clubs that would do something like this. I mean, again, the we the comparison we keep making because it's the only one that's you can really even look at as remotely a similar transfer is Alfonso Davies has moved to Bayern uh, and Davies at I believe originally 13 million with the potential to rise to 20. I mean Davies right. was not expected to be an immediate first team player like he ended up being. Uh, Teo Hernandez got hurt. Teo Luca I forget which one's which, but Hernandez who had just been signed for a huge amount of money by Bayern, uh, got injured. Davies got thrown in at left back and the rest is history out there. So yeah, this is a long, long term investment that any club would be making on Gaga, whether it's at 3 million or 10 for an 18 year old shot stopper. That's a, a lot of money and it has to express some significant confidence that you think you're going to make money on him one day. I just want to say, and we're not trying to make this into a Man City podcast here by any means, but the fact that they are both looking to offload Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus, two fellow top six Premier League teams, Arsenal with Jesus and, and Sterling with Chelsea, um, in the same month, 
because they can, because they have so many other options and, and Holland coming in now. Holland and uh, Julian, Julian Alvarez is coming in from River Plate. Yeah. Um, so that would be kind of the two in, two out, if you will. I mean, and they just, you know, they just ditched Ferran Torres after like a year and he went to Barcelona. Yeah, it's the, the amount of riches that Man City have accumulated is absurd. And um, Zach Steffen, U.S. men's national team goalkeeper, still there for now and apparently isn't going anywhere, which that's another discussion for another day. So yeah, Gaga, we, again, the, the only question remains how much longer he plays for the fire. Um, and I, I'm still saying that my preferred option would be for him to do a Caden Clark and come back again next year. But that gets very difficult as the New York Red Bulls found out, because if you have a player leave for a significant transfer fee from MLS, they have to go back into the allocation process which means then you have to oh, trade God, yes. with who's ever at the top of the order. Now, the silver lining there is with the fire not being a great team, they probably wouldn't be that many slots away from that first spot in the allocation order. So again, that gets very murky. Gaga's going to be here the rest of the year. Beyond that, um, wait and see. And maybe by next week, we'll have something more to say on this currently idle situation. It's been it's been a topic it's been a block in our podcast for about i don't know a month and a half now basically the entire time we've been doing the show so um i i think by next week we'll have something though speaking of it's in like, the next week probably, uh, probably tomorrow i was gonna say speaking in the next week pat you foreshadowed this earlier it is time in the show for the points bet pick of the week and chris mueller almost scored in the fires last game you made a comment that you thought he looked like yeah, he's, he's due, due for another goal. We talked it yep. over, and that is why our points bet pick of the week this week, Chris Mueller, anytime goal scorer against the Houston Dynamo at plus 350. So that's a much longer shot than we're normally looking to give you on these bets, but some serious value there if Chris Mueller does find the back of the net. Seems like a shoe in the start against Houston, and again, he's going to want to recalibrate that shot or cross a little bit he was inches away from scoring in the last game. Yeah. Maybe he'll find the back of the net in this one. He was very, very good against DC. Um, I thought, yeah, the, I think he was man of the match um, from the fire. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's a, that's a good, good selection. Um, it would not surprise me if Chris Mueller scores in this game. And I just need to say for all the heat that we've given you, Alex, about the, the constant losing in the points bet pick of the week, you won. You got it last week with the fire and the and the uh, under 2.5 goals. So I like, you know, congratulations. Thank you. Is yeah, there, or, or reliable coming here? through. Can you make it two in a row? Like the fire, can you make it two in a row, do you think? You're going to build on what you've learned? And... I Those things do feel correlated. I do feel like if Chris Mueller scores, the odds of the fire winning do seem to be significantly higher. I would say that's definitely the case. True. So, um, yeah, let's let's hope he scores and and some, our listeners make some quality money on points bet off that and and uh, the fire go on to a maybe a one nothing win, maybe a two nothing win. We'll see. I, I I think it's definitely possible. Two now, goal win, getting spicy with fire. it by fire standards. <laughs> that's, that's I might be getting I might knock me down a few notches here. I might be getting out of control. Um, you know, the other big thing that, that happened um, 
this week that did not involve Chicago. And it seemed like every step of the way when Chicago wasn't involved in this, people had to be re-reminded of what was going on. But Chicago will not be hosting a World Cup game in 2026. And there's a big part of me that feels kind of sad about that. Because, you know, I think our city um, would have been a fantastic host, even if our stadium isn't perfect. But that's not the reason. It, uh this is a Rahm Emanuel thing dating back many, many years ago. He took us out of the running a long time ago. Yeah, and it, it, it is bittersweet, even though we've known this was coming. Chicago, a, a literal, not much more than a literal stone's throw away from U.S. soccer headquarters in the South Loop. Uh, Soldier Field hosted the opener the last time the United States hosted a World Cup back in 1994. The opening game mm-hmm. was at Soldier Field. Uh, also, I mean, Soldier Field, not perfect for soccer, but unlike many of the stadiums that were chosen for the tournament is actually big enough. The surface is large enough for a full size regulation soccer pitch. Um, Again, most of the NFL stadiums that were chosen to host world cup games are not big enough. So that is one of several hurdles that FIFA is going to have to figure out. Otherwise we're going to be looking at a lot of games in bowling alley shaped fields in 2026, but yes, uh, Rahm Emanuel several years ago, um, cited an undue cost to taxpayers with the amount of free shit FIFA wanted, which on the one hand, I get because FIFA does ask yeah. for a lot. They do love their money and they probably would have asked for, you know, all the five-star hotels to be booked up for them. Just look at what's going on in Qatar right now with the inability for anybody to find anywhere to sleep. Um, so I, I'm not surprised that Rom Emanuel and the Chicago city government said, eh, I don't know about the costs of that. On the other hand, um, we have seen plenty of times in Chicago that when things don't happen, it's often because the right palms were not greased or were not greased sufficiently. So I don't think this is necessarily a just in the interest of the taxpayers move here. I think this was probably a, hey, we can we can kill two birds with one stone, which is FIFA wouldn't give us the money that we wanted. And also, it's going to result in saving everybody else some money in the process. So, yeah, this is ain't this ain't worth it. Yeah, as big as Rom was on tourism and putting Chicago in the public eye, and and like you know, that's why he wanted you know movies and 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 TV shows. The shot Olympics. Here. It was it was su- yeah, it was such a giant thing of his to to bring Chicago to the forefront to, to increase tourism. I literally, when I back was, when I was a news reporter, I literally spoke to him about it at length. He was incredibly passionate about it. And so to turn down the world cup feels like, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Like, yes, FIFA was probably asking for too much and he could say he was looking out for the taxpayers, but I think it was, it was a, it was a two corrupt entities clashing and, and it was more like oil and water and they just couldn't get it done than it would you know corrupt entities can sometimes find ways to work together too um but in this case they couldn't and you know at the time vancouver had said they were not going to be in the running either for similar reasons vancouver is going to be one of the host cities because they since put themselves back in the running chicago could have never did and now the only city in the midwest that's going to be hosting games is kansas city um, it's a very, very coastal um, 
group of, of cities. DC also got the DC Baltimore uh, bid also got rejected. They were, it was a sort of the games would have been played in, in Baltimore, but the fan events would have been in DC thing. So in Canada, it's going to be BC place, home of the Whitecaps in Vancouver, BMO field, home of Toronto yep. FC in Toronto, Mexico has the Estadio Azteca, which needs no further explanation. Estadio BBVA, which you might know from that picture that every football aggregation account on Twitter uh -huh. posts every month of the mountain views in the back. It does look very cool. U.S. Women's National Team also going to be playing there this summer. That's in yeah. Monterrey. And then the Estadio Acron in Guadalajara, which um, some U.S. Men's National Team fans might remember not so favorably as the place where we failed to qualify for the Olympics last time around. Yes, BMO's going to have to be expanded majorly by uh i think it's a it's going to go up to forty five thousand. so that'll yeah, be from thirty thousand. so yeah they're growing that stadium right. a lot between now and the world cup it still is not going to look as stupid as when russia literally had to cut a hole in the side of one of their stadiums <laughs> and extend the bleachers <laughs> still the dumbest thing about that world cup and a list of dumb things about that world cup anyway uh in the united states we have uh, MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, NRG Stadium in Houston, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, Lincoln Financial Field in Philly, Lumen Field in Seattle, really glad Seattle got games, yeah. uh, Levi Stadium in San Francisco, Gillette Stadium in Boston, or, you know, 50 miles from Boston, and Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Boston is the really the one that like with Chicago not getting it kind of bugs me because that stadium's nowhere near a metro area. The turf surface they exactly. have there is terrible. It's not a good soccer venue. It's it's just it's just not. And it's unfortunate that that's where, you know, if you're Chicago because you just chose not to, or if you're DC because you have to deal with Dan Snyder, you're gonna watch Boston host games instead. Yeah, that, that's um, that's one of the first thoughts I had as well. What is it, some 30 minutes outside of Boston? Uh, 30 minutes if there's no so, traffic. Yeah. Um, if Of the stadiums here, though, Alex, if is there one that you really are hoping to see the United States play a game in over the others? Um, well, for my completely personal reasons, I'd like to see them play in Kansas City because that's going to be the, easily, the most easily accessible yeah. game being from Chicago, um, we got to remember because the World Cup for purely monetary reasons and nothing to do with the soccer is expanding to 48 teams from 32 for this tournament. There's only going to be two group games. So the U.S. is only going to play two games in the group stage in these stadiums. There's a couple things to play here. On the one hand, I think it would make a lot of sense for those two games to be at Arrowhead in Kansas City and AT&T in Dallas, the thing we have to keep in mind, though, is where are they going to host the opening game of the tournament? Because the United States will be playing in it, almost certainly, unless they have Canada or Mexico step in and do that. But with the U.S. as the primary host, you have to assume that opening game will uh, include the United States. And then that brings the question of what stadiums would FIFA want to put yeah. that in. The leading theory is that the opener and the final are currently going to be chosen between SoFi in Los Angeles and MetLife in New York. Yeah. Um, so that, I would actually say, yeah. and if you play in one of them, you're not going to go to the middle of the country for the other. So if I was a 
going to gamble on it, I'd say the two U.S. group locations will probably either be San uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco, or it will be uh, New York and Boston or New York and Philly is, I think, what you're going to end up seeing there. Again, we got a lot of time to figure all this out. There's also the issues of the fact that most of these stadiums don't have grass. They have artificial turf, which means we're going to be watching a World Cup largely played on sod ruled over turf, which basically every soccer player universally hates. Um, That's another consideration. If you're the U.S. men's national team, uh, the fields in the U.S. that do have actual grass in them are, I believe, Arrowhead in Kansas City and Levi Stadium near San Francisco. Those that maybe Philadelphia has grass too, but no more than those three. So that's also something to be considered if you want to have a little bit of home cooking in terms of ensuring you're on a good surface. You know, I feel like there's enough time. Obviously, some of these are MLS venues, but for the ones that are just purely uh, NFL venues, there's enough time between the end of the NFL season and the start of the World Cup to get a great surface on those stadiums. And so I I really hope they do. Um, It would not be, you know, these surfaces in these NFL stadiums is one of the things that bugs me about soccer. We're going to blow away every attendance mark ever. And I think the current record is still the U.S. World Cup in 1994. So um, it's going to be a fantastic World Cup. Attendance is going to be great. I just hope the surfaces are great and not just sod laid over turf. Um, Yeah, and the other thing, of course, as I alluded to earlier, is the size of of the fields. And I'm looking at uh, SoFi Stadium right now, a picture of it. There's like no room behind the corners of the end zone. And that field's going to need to be significantly wider than that. So this is where it's unfortunate with a a U.S.-hosted World Cup, as awesome as it is to have all these great big stadiums. A lot of these stadiums were not designed with soccer in mind. It was not something anyone was thinking of, that it would have to be big enough for that when they built it so while some of these stadiums you know metlife stadium in new york has hosted soccer before um atlanta mercedes-benz obviously hosts atlanta united for their home games hard rock stadium in miami hosts soccer all the time some of these stadiums are equipped for soccer but i mean sofi is going to be a bowling alley and is going to be hilariously narrow jerry jerry world in dallas is is the same problem i i get it with jerry but but Kroenke owns SoFi, and you would think that as a guy who owns two soccer teams, um, he might have forgotten that he owns the one in Denver, but he owns two, Arsenal and and the Colorado Rapids. Um, It's kind of a big picture thinking to make sure that your your NFL stadium can quickly and easily adapt to host major soccer events. I would think you'd want that to be built into the design. And if it's not in a, in a stadium as new and state of the art as SoFi, that's very weird. To me, at least. Yeah, it is. So we'll have to wait and see on that again. It is sad that Chicago won't host anything. Um, maybe I can throw this out there. Maybe there's a chance Chicago could host the draw. Um, U.S. soccer is located in Chicago. That would be a cool thing to have locally. It doesn't seem likely. It seems more likely that one of the cities that was not selected is going to get the honor of, you know, you know, fan zones and the draw and all that sort of thing. Um, so I would look at Nashville. I would look at uh, Washington, D.C. as more likely candidates. But it would be cool if Chicago got something out of this. Nashville would have been a great 
great host. They probably thought, yeah, too close to Atlanta, but. Um, no, it's I, the uncertainty due to Nationals uh, stadium situation. Nissan Stadium is potentially being replaced in Nashville. And so they did not want to risk picking a already place where, yes, where they did not know where they were going oh, to be playing. Yes. Although it, they could have just played it at Nashville SC's new stadium. I know it's not huge, but it looks beautiful. And it, it, it is a little unfortunate that the only, the, the only MLS stadiums we're going to see at the world cup are the ones that are also NFL stadiums. That said though, super pumped for Seattle. That atmosphere is going to be awesome. Imagine if the U S men's national team played a game, at Lumen Field during the World Cup. That would That's be what I was hoping for. Oh my God. That's what I was hoping for. But it doesn't make any sense to to have them up there for the reasons you described. Uh, there I guess there's two other MLS stadiums. There's there's the two in Canada, BMO and, and BC Place. So they're not at NFL stadiums. No, um, BMO BMO does host Canadian football, so it is large in that way. But yeah, so just in terms of the American venues, though, that is what we're looking at. And then obviously we'll have to wait and see where is going to host, you know, semifinals, quarterfinals, all that jazz. Estadio Azteca will become the first stadium in the world to host games in three different World Cups. So that is one cool thing for them. It's very, I almost feel like they should get the opener, but um, just because of the history of that place. Um, but we'll see. Like, you know, if it is truly a three country bid, we don't need to get all of it. We're getting most of it. We don't need to get all of it in the United States. But, but yeah, I would love to see the United States playing on on opening day in a, in a you know weak group because we're in Group A, hopefully. So, um, but that's a whole World Cup away. We have an entire World Cup before that happens. It feels it's going to feel like it. You know, it, it's going to feel like it goes by quickly when we finally get there. But right now, it feels like an eternity away. So, yeah. In the meantime, we've got the Men's World Cup in Qatar this winter. Uh, women's World Cup qualifying is going to be going on shortly for the U.S. Women's National Team. And they'll head to Australia and New Zealand next year. So, yeah, a whole lot. That's a great. Before then. I want to go to Australia. Agreed. 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 I don't know if it's in the CHP be a lot budget. But we should find a way. But Let's again. Kevin about it. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to run that, up, run that up the flagpole. But again, first things first, Chicago Fire trying to string multiple wins together. They take on Houston Dynamo this weekend, and we will be back next week, hopefully recapping back-to-back Fire wins, a thing that has not yet happened on the CHGO Fire podcast. <laughs> uh, Pat, any parting words here before we end this first audio-only edition? I feel like there's a good chance we could be talking about two wins in a row next week that said this is also the fire and every time you start to even get your hopes up in the smallest way those hopes and dreams get crushed well on that very positive and lighthearted note that's (laughs) going to do it for this episode of chdo fire for pat mccrady i'm alex campbell thanks for listening and we'll see you next week adios (laughs) 